Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at bkcwest.com. We're walking our way through Genesis, and we've, we've seen so far that people, uh, as they define good and bad and, and uh, kind of walk through life and define the knowledge of good and evil and, and those things, it's this great experiment, and, and it's not going well. And so, like, humans are just bent on destruction. Like, even just, like, things really go well, things just turn out bad. Like, you know, hey, things are really good. Give me a minute. Give me a minute to just kind of work on this, you know? I mean, you ever been there? Uh, And so, that's what's going on. Things are going bad. But we, we see God in the last couple of weeks answer the question, even though people keep messing this up, what will God do? How will God respond? Will he stay in relationship with humans, even though they're just bent on destruction and rebellion? And so we see God go, if he wants to impact the world in a big way, God goes small with a family, one person, Abraham and his family. And we see him dialing in on his purpose of actually rescuing the world and doing that through Abraham. And you see Abraham start to do some pretty significant things by the power of God, by God's protection. But you, because we're humans, we look for ourselves in the story. And so the kind of the question now is, is like, well, wow, like, is Abraham going to be the hero now? Is Sarah going to be the hero? And no, you know, you'll see today right away, they step in it again. But God continues to be the hero. God continues to be the one that rescues and turns things right. And so you know, a company, you've, you may have heard this, like companies or churches or families or things, like if things are really good and you've succeeded, it's important to ask the question why or how. Like, how did we succeed? A lot of times we just be like, well, that turned out pretty good. You know, we won or, or things turned out well. And so, um, you know, as we walk through life, you know, whatever we do, it's important to say, well, how did that happen? Like, how did we win or how did we succeed? And I will say this, that, that it's always with God, it is, it is God's power, God's ability, God's relentlessness to have relationship and turn things back to his good order, matched with our internal hearts being yielded to him. It's not much of the outward effort of ours. It's the inward then out. That's always where you will get lasting success, where you get something that lasts for a really long time. See, is, as most of us are, are born and raised Americans, and you know, we're a pretty young country. You know, um, Sometimes we can get arrogant, like, you know, look at us, look what we're doing. And we have an amazing country. It's, it's phenomenal. Who we are and what we do, what we've accomplished, and how we help people, and, and we make mistakes, too, and all those things. But compared to other countries, we're really young. And the question is, can we sustain it over time? Can, can, we, can we have, you know, substance over time? And the same thing happens with churches, the same thing happens with church movements, the thing happened with health in a family, right? One generation of a family can, can be healthy and good, and, and the children are healthy and good, but that all can switch in the next generation. But it's not based upon actions on the outside, it always starts with the heart, 
Where is the heart in relation to God's good order? And I, I think about it this way. Um, I, I go to the chiropractor um, when I hurt, you know. Uh, they tell me I'm supposed to go, like, regularly to maintain it, you know, but I, I don't. I go until, like, I, I just almost crawl in there. And then it's like, okay, fix me. And so I went this last week. I was in that place, and, and so my chiropractor, she said, well, what'd you do? And then she goes, boy, you're tight. And, and, and she does this one thing where she kind of pulls on my legs, and, and, and she's like, come on, give it to me, give it to me, because I'm just tight as all get out. I'm like, I don't relax well, you know? And so, and, and you know, but the whole thing is, is that for, for, the, for her to do what she's supposed to do, I have to surrender. I have to give it over. Otherwise, she can't do what she's going to do, especially if, like, cracking the neck. If you try to fight that, that's going to turn bad. And so it is with God. It's, it's we have to surrender over for really good things to happen. And we see this with Abram and Sarah, and we see that they decide that they're going to help God out. And when we decide to help God out and say, well, you know, hey, God's kind of lagging in fulfilling his promise. Let me just do this. Every time that you ever try to do that in your life or you see in scripture that people decide they're going to help people out, it hurts. It hurts them and it hurts other people. So let's dive right in. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. Okay, so uh, 10 years have passed since we... um, uh, you know, since, since he landed in the, in the land of Canaan, since we kind of read last. And uh, the promise of God was always that you, I want you to go into this land, I'm going to give you the land, and also, too, you're going to have many descendants. And, but Abram and Sarah, Sarai did not have any children. They, they couldn't have any children. They tried, they couldn't have any children. And so this whole thing was a big promise. They didn't make it up. It was God's promise. It was his. And they decided, hey, maybe God wants us to do something. Maybe there's something that we're supposed to do to help God out. And so they say, all right, well, what about this? Here's a plan. And we look at it and we say, that's really strange. Or it's kind of shocking what they do. In this time and day, it wasn't really shocking. Uh, If uh, a couple could not have children, then they typically would have uh, a servant who was related. uh, In other words, uh, in relationship, she served Sarai. So in essence, uh, it would be Sarai's child. And so they said, hey, let's make it happen this way. God said this is going to happen. Let's make it happen. We're tired of waiting. They're in the long middle. They're just like, hey, you know, makes sense. Let's do it. So, so Abram, uh, you know, agrees to that. Um, but they're calculating, right? Uh, when it comes to the things of God, we get in trouble when we calculate based upon just everyday normal wisdom. Because the things of God that he promises and they're outside of normal wisdom. They're outside of that. I mean, that's why this thing, God says, I'm going to do this. And, and, and they just think like, oh, we're not getting it yet. But no, God never said to do that. He, he never went, said to do those things, but they, you know, they go ahead and do it anyways. Uh, and so verse four, we see, so Abram had sexual relations with Hagar and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began 
to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. So it's going really well. (laughs) Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. Okay, so Abram goes, goes ahead and follows through on this. Uh, Hagar is, is now pregnant, and it causes problems right away. Uh, because you can imagine uh, it's devastating in some ways. Typically, even today, when you have a couple that is not able to conceive, um, when they go to the doctor and they find out which one of the two, um, you know, if it's not both, uh, is not able to, you know, um, participate in conceiving a child, um, you know, their parts aren't working the way they're supposed to. Um, it's devastating sometimes, you know, for one or the other because it either pushes them together or it pushes them apart. Um, because one may feel such shame or they may feel like such a, a failure, um, or the other one may even have contempt for them that, that they can't do what they thought they could do. And so, so it is here. And so now that they see that Abram is able to conceive that it, it's Sarai, she's not able to do this. Later on, she says that God closed her womb. That's how she sees it, that, that God caused this. So there's deep hurt. So it causes immediate problems between Hagar, Sarah, and Abram. There's contempt in verse four. There's blaming and shaming in verse five. There's avoidance. Abram says, look, this is your deal. You deal with it. I want you just to take care of this. I'm, I'm, I've got other things to do. Uh, and then there's violence. The word here that, that it says that Sarai mistreated Hagar is actually the word that you see that when it says that people's hearts were, uh, were turned away from God or their hearts were always turned to violence. This is the same word. And so it wasn't just kind of like a, you know, using words. It was she was, she was violent with her. It was a harsh, harsh situation, the way Sarai was treating Hagar. So it says that Hagar runs away, and she's found by the angel of the Lord. And she's on the road to Shur, which is in the wilderness, on the way to Egypt. And so Hagar was probably uh, in trouble. She was from Egypt. And so when Sarai and Abram were down in Egypt, they left with... um, they left with riches from Pharaoh. And so she, she may have been a part of what was given to Sarai and Abram. And her family may have been in trouble financially. Uh, they, she may have been in trouble in some way, indebted to somebody. Uh, but she was now had to be a servant for Sarai and Abram. So for her in her mind, she's saying like, I'm going to go back to Egypt. Like it's, it's got to be better there. She's forgotten how bad it was there. She's forgotten that things are better because actually, even though she's being mistreated right now in the circumstances, which is not okay, and um, she would have understood that this was normal, but you can imagine. I mean, uh, did she have a say in this? Um, Maybe it was her duty as part of this, but uh, it's not great stuff. So she decides she's gonna head back home where things were worse. But this angel of the Lord asks her two questions in the verses that follow. 
where have you come from and where are you going? And the angel of the Lord is actually, this would be, it's like, a, it says it's a messenger uh, or an agent of the Lord would be the language, but he speaks in uh, like personal pronoun, speaks in I. And so this, and then what we see in chapter 17, where God shows up to, uh, to Abram is actually a, uh, what we would call a Christophany or a theophany. It's a, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So before he became one of us, became flesh, he shows up here in the Old Testament. And he shows up here with Hagar, and she's hurting. Her circumstances are bad. Everything's gone to pot. Uh, she thought maybe her life was going to get better with Sarai and Abram but it's just getting bad. Uh, she probably, one of her dreams was to have children, and, but now that's turning bad as well. And so she's at this place, she's running, and the Lord comes to her, and uh, she doesn't share with him the answers to his questions. He says, where have you been, and where are you going? Instead, she says, I've been mistreated by my mistress, Sarai, and I'm running away. You ever been there where like your circumstances or a situation or something's happened that you can't really see beyond what, what's going on there? Sarah, uh, Hagar is, is completely hijacked right now. Her emotions, everything, she doesn't see anything else. She, she says, I'm just going to run here and go here, but she's not thinking through the bigger perspective. And so God steps in and helps her with that. And what he, what he promises her is he says, look, I'm going to give you more descendants than you can count. And the son that you're going to have, Ishmael, he actually is going to be a great leader. And, and he says he's going to be a wild man. That in, in the translations, there's arguments about the translations, but it, basically it's, it's somebody that is actually going to be very uh, capable, very sufficient, very strong, able to take care of himself. And the... the uh, offspring of um, Ishmael are the, like the Bedouin people, uh, if you've ever heard of them over, uh, over in this area. And they're people that to, the, to this day uh, live off of the land and kind of live off the grid, and, and they're just very capable people. And probably, though, Ishmael's uh, offspring would actually be represented by all of the Arab people throughout the earth. And so she was saying, hey, this is a really bad situation. This is really bad. I'm going to run away. And God says, hey, this is what I have for you, but I need you to go back. I know the circumstances are hard. I know the situation's hard, but I need you to go back. And our purpose, our calling, for whatever reason, is associated to places and people. And so if we're to fulfill our purpose and our calling, it has to do with certain spaces and people. It just always has. Uh, that's how God does it. He puts us into certain places and people. And so uh, it, it's kind of hard because you look at it and you say, well, gosh, she couldn't accomplish what God had for her unless she was with them. Part of it was is that she was a, uh, she was a fulfillment of God's promise of blessing the whole earth through Abram. She wasn't the fulfillment, 
but she was a fulfillment of that. And so she had to be amongst them. And uh, in her mind, that didn't make sense, but she went back. So is God cruel to have her go back? No, God would be cruel if God just said, fine, go back to Egypt. I know this has happened to you, but, and it's going to mean nothing. And you're not almost ultimately going to accomplish this. But God says, look, go back to the situation. And I would guess that the situation was different when she went back. I would guess that God not only worked on her heart, but he also worked in the heart of Abram and Sarai as well. So a little bit later on in this account with this person who we think is Jesus, pre-incarnate, she actually says that um, she calls him, uh, I, like, I will call you El Roy to God. And so people say that Hagar, this woman from Egypt, is the first theologian in the Bible because she does theology. She experiences God. The writer actually says that, that Yahweh comes to her, but they wouldn't have used that word yet. He hadn't shown himself as Yahweh yet. But the people reading would have understood that. And so the writer is writing to say, hey, this is your God that's doing this. But she's having this interaction with God and so that she will remember who he is and she can interact with him later. She says, I call you El Roy. And El Roy means El is God. Roy sees. So the God who sees me. And her whole life has changed because she realizes that God sees her and he pursues her. And she actually changes the name of the well, the spring of water that's there. Uh, she actually changes it to the well of the living one who looks for me. You know, not everything is true because it's in the Bible. Like, in other words, just because we see it happen, like with Sarai and Abram, like there's other ways to have children and surrogates today other than, than that. So it's like not everything's a model for that. But when you see this here, when something, a truth is spoken about God and somebody that experiences God intervening in their life in such a way, you can take that and you can apply it to your life. You know, the well of the living one who looks for me. You see, Hagar has been pursued by God in the midst of her running. I remember this when I was a, in my early 20s, all of my friends were, uh, got married younger, and, uh, and I was just kind of, I was living, it wasn't a bad life, I was living a block from the beach, and, you know, apartment, and doing ministry, and working, and doing stuff, it was good, and good life, and stuff, but I wanted, I, I wanted to be married, and, and, um, and kind of get on with that next stage of my life, and, and so I had lots of times where um, I was just kind of like, i just get in my car, and I'd go, you know, and I, I'd drive up the coast or, or drive, you know, to the desert or different things because I could. And, and it was pretty amazing. God would always meet me. But it was because uh, somehow he was able to meet me differently than when I was wrestling through just the, the regular trek of life. You know, just kind of going through the normal circumstances. I think I showed up differently. It wasn't that he said, oh, now that you're running, I can get to you. But I showed up differently. My heart was more tender. I was, I was ready to hear from him. I was ready to see him. I was ready to seek him. 
That's why when you go on retreats and different things that somehow you meet him differently because you've pushed away other things so that you can hear from him. And that's what happens with Hagar here. She's pursued by God and God meets her. And so what a mess though, right? Hey, let's help God out. Look at the pain that happened there. Um, When we force things, when we get hurried and, and we start to live at an unreasonable pace, you know, this is where we start to add hurt into our lives from the things that God does. And, and a lot of it is, I think, is that we want progress. Like we want the appearance of something, that something's happening. And, and the temptation's great, you know, in a family. Uh, the temptation's great in a church. The temptation's great in, um, in businesses. And we live in an appearance age. I mean, absolutely. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, you've heard it talked about like, you know, somebody's difference between somebody's Instagram page or Facebook page compared to, to real life, right? I mean, if you, that's one of the reasons like you look at social media, you can get depressed, you know, a lot of times because you look at like, man, everybody else has it together, you know? They've got this thing. Everything's just all these good moments and stuff. And it's, it's, it's good. It's okay to share those great moments and those things, but that's not our real life. And so, uh, you know, there's theme parks what they do to have the appearance of progress or movement is, uh, you know, the lines that you stand in, uh, you know, where it's not just a straight line. Uh, sometimes it is, it's a really big line, but when you get close, they have the lines that kind of you, you meander through this way. And studies have shown that you're not really moving forward. You know, I mean, you are, but barely, just very so small. But it gives, because you're going like this, it makes you feel like you have movement. It makes you feel like there's something happening. And something is, but just very, very, very slightly. And so we can become like that in our lives where we, we get into, we, you know, appearance is what's most important. And so everything that we do maybe as a church or maybe everything that we do in um, our family or our business is just, it's more appearance than substance. And you can play that game for a while, but what happens over time is, is that you become hollow on the inside because there's substance lacking in just kind of outward. And also, too, the way you build a life or the way you build a church or the way you build a business is the way you have to maintain it because the people and, that you've attracted into your life or uh, into those things, that they, that's what they expect. That's what they look for. And so it gets down to uh, what's most important is really the heart of things. And, um, you know, helping out, like I was thinking about my boys. I have three sons, and they're all teens, mid to late teens now. And, um, but we lived in Colorado when they were real little, and they would want to help me uh, with the things I was doing. So um, their favorite thing, my least favorite thing for them to help me with was raking leaves, because... Uh, I remember the first time I did it, and they're real little. They've got these little rakes, and they're going after it. But I would sit there. I'd make a lot of progress, and I'd make this big pile of leaves. And then I'd go over here and start making this other leaves. And what would they do? I'd look back, and they're unraking the pile. It, but what are they doing? They're, they're, they're trying to help. And um, it was an utter failure unless I switched the goal. I realize, okay, the goal right now is not to get the leaves raked. The goal is to connect with the heart of my sons, right? The goal right now is not for them to uh, know how to rake properly, okay? Because I tried all of those things. It didn't go well. 
No, I like doing it like this. Just so you're not worried, they, they're very good at raking leaves now. But back then, I realized that, oh, this is not, the work is not the big thing. I need to connect to them heart-wise. And, you know, that's how it can be with progress or the things that God's promised us is, is, that, is that we can want to see this outward thing happening. We want to see this progress or, or if God's going to do this, this is going to happen. I mean, these guys are waiting. It's been 10 years. 10 years is a long time. And they still haven't seen it happen, so they're trying to make it happen. But I wonder, what is God doing? Was God just checked out on vacation for a bit? What was he really doing? No, he was working, but he was working on the heart. He was preparing them to be the people that could have the blessing come to the whole world through them. And that's what we see in chapter 17. We see that it's a matter of the heart. And so in verse 1, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give give uh, give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. And and then he goes on to verse 6, and and, and God, you know, he says, look, I'm going to make you fruitful. Your descendants, uh, you know, will become many nations. I'll confirm my covenant with you. This is the everlasting covenant I want you to, uh, I want you to, um, uh, to, to stick with, um, he says about giving the whole land of Canaan, and, and even though you're a foreigner in this land now, uh, it will be your possession forever, and I will be their God. Here, here's the problem, you guys, is that this is now 13 years after what we just read in chapter 16. And so now this is 25 years after God said, hey, leave your land, come into the land that I'm giving you, and you're going to have descendants, and you're going to rule this land. God just says here that he's still a foreigner. So not only do they not have children yet the way that God promised, but they also have not taken possession of the land yet. Close to 25 years before this whole thing wraps up. But he comes to him and he says, I am El Shaddai or God Almighty. And he's given specific instructions on what he's to do. He says, I want you to serve me faithfully This is the original, what it's saying is, I want you to walk around with me. I want you to walk with me. If you followed on the other weeks, remember Enoch and Noah, that they walked with God. And then he says to to him, and I want you to live a blameless life, equals or called, I want you to live a whole life. I mean, how many people want all of you? I mean, if you're married and you're here with your spouse today, I mean, if you were really honest, you would say, yeah, I don't know that I want all of him or all of her. But that's what he's saying. He's not saying like, I want you to, he's saying, I want you to have integrity, which is wholeness. But he's not saying, I want you to be perfect or anything like that. But he's just saying, I want you to be a whole person where your emotions, your feelings, your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit. I want you to bring all of that to me and walk around with me. 
I want you to be present with me. And he says, I'm El Shaddai, our God Almighty. And he says, all the other stuff you're worried about, let me take care of that. Let me take care of those things. All those things you're concerned about, all those things you're worried about going wrong, let me take care of that. And this is true. Because um, in my early 30s, we, we, left, uh, we left a church of 4,000 to go to a church of 40 in Colorado, where there was a huge budget to like no budget. We had, we had a year and a half old and a four month old. And as we went there, I had all kinds of concerns. I freaked out and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. I'm going to ruin my life. And, and then God met me and he had a guy share a prophetic word with me. And he's just like, hey, you know, you get discouraged too easily. And it's something that's been in your family and, and God's going to break that in your life. And, and he's like, besides you're focused on the wrong thing. And I was like, well, what's, what am I supposed to focus on? It was my heart. And we went to Colorado, and, and God did great things in the lives of the people. He did great things in our lives. And then, you know, the point we moved back to California, we planted a church, we did things, and I didn't want to plant a church. I told God, I said, look, I'll help churches grow, but I never want to plant a church. That seems horrible to me to start, you know, with nothing. And, and then he says, hey, I want you to plant a church in Morro Bay, California. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, but here's my list of everything you need to give me. You need to give me lots of money. You need to give me a facility to meet in. You need to give me 100 people. Da, 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 da. And I'm sitting there, and I remember it was a, it was a rainy, cold day, uh, as cold as California can get. And, and I'm sitting there, and, 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 and I'm, I'm praying all these things. And I'm like, Lord, I need these. And he, and he says, I'm not concerned about those things. I'm like, well, I am. Like, I need those things for this to be successful. And he says, no. And he says, he said, did did." you know, did I give, uh, um, you know, you know, because it was raining. He's like, did I, what, what did I give to Noah? You know, he just had to walk it out by faith. I mean, are you any different? And I said, well, God, if you're not concerned about those things, what, what are you concerned about? And he says, well, I'm concerned about your heart. I'm like, oh, I remember this. We've done this before. You know, and then, you know, and then fast forward, we did some other things with churches and then we get to, uh, you know, 2018 and, and we're sitting there. And, and so God says, hey, um, oh, so you'll move wherever I tell you to go and you'll do whatever you want me to do because you want to know? And I say, yeah. And he says, okay, I want you to move to Kansas. Okay, God, you got to do such and such and such and such and such and such. He's like, I'm not concerned about those things. I'm concerned about your heart. And so I, the things I've been concerned about, the things that come to my mind first as far as provision or any of those things, I've never seen God fail. I've never seen him not just abundantly provide in just everything that's needed. I've been always just shocked at what he does in the life of people, in the life of a place, and in my life. So he has everything. He takes care of everything. But he says, the circumstances, the things, I will work all of that. I'm El Shaddai, I'm God Almighty. But will you please focus on what I want you to focus on, which is your heart. And so just like me, it is for you. The things that are so glaringly in your face that you say, I need to fix or I need to work on, God says, look, I've got all of that. Will you give me your heart? Will you focus on your heart? And so what God does with Abram, he's not worried about all that. He's like, I'm concerned about your heart. But it's been 25 years, God. And so Abram's been walking around for 25 years, for 25 years with the name Father of Many. That's what Abram means. He doesn't have any kids. And the one kid that he has, who's 13 now as a teenager, he had to kind of like work some weird stuff and do some weird stuff to get. And, and it was like, you think people made fun of him? 
hey, father of many, what are you doing? You know, and it's like, your name doesn't match up. It's a bad scene. And so he says, hey, let's up the ante. Now I'm going to call you Abraham, father of many nations. 25 years, you guys. Instead of God dialing it back, he says, let me dial it up. But then we see in a little bit that God actually now gives him a date. And he says, look, within a year, Sarai, who I'm changing her name to Sarah, which Sarai kind of means princess, but it's just kind of a common name. It wasn't a really unknown name. I'm changing her name to Sarah. And Sarah means queen. And he says, so in a year, Sarah, queen, and actually, she actually will be queen or mother of many nations. And kings will come from her. He says, actually, this is what I'm, do. I'm doing. I'm finally doing it within the next year. But God says to him, he says, he says look, um, uh, I need something from you now. And so he says, this will be the sign that you've bought into the covenant by faith of what I'm doing. And so he gives them the sign of circumcision. And he says to them, I say, I say you and all of the males within your family, I want you to circumcise yourselves to set yourselves apart. Now, this wasn't just, this was, uh, circumcision was a practice amongst other people during the land, in the land. But the difference came is that God said, this will be the sign between me and you. And so he said, I want you to mark yourselves. Uh, you know, if you remember the covenant that God made is that they, right, the way they make a covenant is they'd take animals, they'd cut up, kind of gruesome, but they'd cut up the animals and the two parties would walk through, but God was the only one that walked through. So if the covenant wasn't fulfilled, what happened to the animals would happen to them. And God says, look, if this thing's not fulfilled, I walk through, it'll happen to me. But I want you to, just like we cut the animals, I want you to cut yourselves in this way and be marked in this way. And so that's what he asked them to do. And, and, and we, see, we see that Abram responded right away, like they did it that day. I mean, can you imagine that conversation amongst the men, though? Are you sure? You know, are you sure this is what we're supposed to do? But it became, it became a sign or a mark throughout all time uh, for the Jewish people. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, though, he pushes against it, and the New Testament writers push against it. Because why? Because it had become just an act. They're like, hey, we're circumcised. Abram, the father of faith, is our father, so we're good. It's like, well, my parents were Christians, and so and they went to church, and so I go to church, so I'm a Christian. You know, like, like there's a family plan. I'm good. In other words, the activities of faith, the activities of religion are just something that I do and that I take part in, but my heart is far from them, right? Jesus said, you know, these people, you know, they, they draw, he quotes the Old Testament, you know, these people, they draw near to me with their words and their actions, but their hearts are far from me. And so he narrows in on the heart time and time again. Uh, the circumcision was actually an outward sign of an inward faith, just like this ring here, right? My wife gave this to me in October of 1999. This is not my wife's commitment or love to me, but it's an outward sign. So I wear it. And actually it means nothing unless there's actually that heart commitment there. It's just a symbol. We have baptism today. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward work. We have all these things that God has given us that point us to, though, ultimately, it's our hearts that are connected to God. And so 
God goes on in, in, in chapter 17 and he says, look, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this son. And Abram still doubts. He's like, wait, you're going to do this again? Okay, so you're saying Ishmael will be the son of the promise. He's like, no, I'm really going to give you at 100 years old and Sarah, 90 years old, I'm going to give you a child. She's going to give birth to a child. And so he laughs. And Isaac, his son, means laughter. He laughs and he falls down to his face. He's like, God, are you serious? It's like, yeah, I'm going to bless Ishmael, but the promise comes through Isaac. And so, so what, what do we do with this? Um, you know, I think that uh, we have to realize that um, we have to realize that, uh, Dave, will you read? I don't know what's going on back there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. We'll just get it going for, for worship in a second. So, but something happened there. Um, uh, you know, we want progress. We want activity. We want movement. And what if the main movement that God does is the preparing of us? I mean, it's actually the pattern that we see in Scripture, is that the main work of God that he's doing is on the inside. And so what if our prayers were different? Like, what if our prayers changed? Right? We spend a lot of time asking God to do things, which is good. Like, we're supposed to ask, seek, and knock, and go after things. But what if the, the main substance of our prayer was, God, change me on the inside. Change my heart, God. Change my heart to the way that you want it to be. Link my heart to you. You see, God was preparing Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, and it, to be the father of many nations and the, the queen of kings. And he was preparing Hagar to be the mother of Ishmael, who, who would, 12 leaders would come from, and all of the, the Arab people and all of the world would come from them. And then for you guys here and me, think of the names that are described you in the New Testament. You're described as holy. If you seek to follow Jesus, if you make Jesus as your savior, you're described as holy in the New Testament. Like that's the name that God has given you. Uh, you're described um, as righteous, that you have a right standing with God and a right standing with people in the New Testament. You're described as children of God. So not just like it's done, like the circumcision thing or the baptism thing or the ring thing, but like I'm a child of God because the substance of my life and my heart and my life is like God's. You're described as chosen. You're described as a royal priesthood. And so when it comes to the promises of life, when it comes to the things that God does or the things that you can have in life or the success or the dreams or the highest of highs of those things or what you can do in this life, the question we have to ask is, is Jesus enough? Like if I go through all my life and, 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 I, and the, the greatest accomplishment or the greatest thing that was done, the greatest thing that got there and was finished and those things that I could really look at is say that my heart was knit with the heart of Jesus that I knew him, that he worked in me, that he changed my heart to be like his. Is that enough? Like, would you be willing to take 
all everything else, the dreams and all those things and, and what you would accomplish and what you would do and, and move it all over to the side and go all in and say, you know what? I'm laying all of that down to say, even if all of that has to go away, that I might have the heart of Jesus and that he might have mine. Anything that gets in the way, I would move into that. Now, the hard thing is we look at that and say, well, is this extra credit? Isn't that like for people like you that have decided to be a pastor or a missionary or those things? And it's like, no, that's normal Christian life. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. And so that's the mark, the mark that God looks for. Here we see him do it with circumcision. The mark is, is that God, all of me for all of you. What a trade. That if I give God all of my life, I get all of him. That's what he promises us. That's what he gives us. But we need to put our focus on the inside because he's going to work from the inside out in our lives. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 